I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome to Bellwether. We have a great episode this week. I say that at the beginning of every episode. I know I do, but uh, that's because I always have great guests, and that's what I love to do. Um, when I think of when I th- was thinking about all of the guests that I have on on this podcast, and there there are really like three kinds of buckets of people that I typically bring on, and uh, one is you know people with just an interesting story, and and we can all learn from interesting stories. So I like to have them tell their story. So that's one kind of group of people. There's another group of guests that um, that really get you to think, and you know they'll ponder good questions and and make you think about different things. My last podcast on uh, with Alan Goldstein was specifically on that. He, I mean, he had an inter- interesting story, and he he was able to ask a lot of good questions to get you to think. But then there's also guests that really give good tactical advice. Uh, and just really good learnings and all of that kind of, you know, this is something that w- works really well and we all have the same kind of challenges and, and uh, sometimes we just need someone to give us a little bit of direction. And when I think about today, it's not every day that you get a person who's one of all three buckets. And that's what Mike is. Mike Mike Greenlee, my guest today, uh, uh, is going to give us lots of good tactical advice, but he also has an interesting story and he's also a good person to, to get you to think. And what we're going to cover today is uh, the biggest fear in the world is giving a speech. We know this. This is, you know, no no big secret. When I look back on all the other podcast episodes, uh, getting over your fear of public speaking with Tony Fiola early an early episode was by and far the the most listened to podcast that we've had. And and so I know we we struck a nerve. But there's really three aspects to a speech. One is the fear of giving a speech. But then the two is, you know, once you get over that fear or you learn to deal with the fear is you actually have to sit down and write the speech and then you have to deliver the speech. And we don't think about it in these three different buckets. And so today, you know, before we talk about how to deliver a speech, I really wanted to have Mike Greenlee is one of the best, if not the best speechwriter that uh, is out there today that I know of. Um, and he was kind enough to share with us, you know, really just some good tactical advice on how to write a speech. And there is so much to think about when it comes to writing a speech that it's intimidating. We usually push it off until the very end and then we don't really have a good speech written and then it just snowballs into not a good delivery. Uh, so with that, I, I, I just wanted to give that pretext on, you know, writing a speech is an extremely important aspect and it's not it doesn't have to be difficult. Okay, and and sometimes we just need a little bit of direction, a little bit of advice on how to really kind of create a story that we could do. And so with that being said, I would like to introduce Mike Greenlee, speechwriter extraordinaire, among many other things. Welcome to Bellwether, Mike. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Mike, tell everyone uh, a little bit about you. So I'm a former Fortune 500 VP of Marketing and Communications. I learned a lot from corporate life, including the fact that I would live longer outside of corporate life. I'm with you 100%. Yep. So, But it was the bravest thing I ever did was to leave. My parents had wanted a vice president. I became that. But it was a scary thing to leave. However, it was the best decision I could have made. And my main gift in life 
is the use of words. I'm a guy who can barely change a light bulb. I'll injure myself trying to hang a picture on the wall. But words are my thing. That means whether I'm writing them for a client or a whole team or I'm coaching somebody on how to deliver them or if I'm writing songs, words are my thing. And so now one of the main parts of my day job is, uh, as opposed to my songwriting, which is a pleasure, is uh, writing speeches for individuals or for teams. That's what I do. And speeches includes PowerPoints these days. Now, I'm going to take one sidestep because you wrote some pretty impressive songs. And one was, what was it, the state of Virginia? The song is called Our Great Virginia, and it is, I'm proud to say, the official anthem of the state. That's fantastic. My parents would be so proud because there's only 50 states, as my father would point out to everybody. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, and and so I've got a lot of questions, especially when it comes to words, right? And yes, we've got PowerPoint, and yes, but I feel like we're stepping away from words. And the power of words, uh, what do you have to say about the power of words? Because when you think about the English language— and I do this a lot with clients. You know, what are some words you want people to use to describe you? And they come up with five words. But we could go down rabbit holes because each word has 15 different meanings. Talk a little bit about words from your perspective on how do you think about words and, and putting together uh, a speech or, or you know, does it just come naturally to you? Or, you know, talk to me about words. Well, it goes back to Julius Caesar, the power of words. Um my countrymen, you know, the, the, the famous quotes, words are how we, words are thoughts, really. And how else do you get something to happen other than brute force without persuasion, motivation, explanation? And so words, as far as I'm concerned, are almost like oxygen and that we depend on them to get what we want, be who we want to be and to encourage others. It's just everything. Now, do you have any advice for people on improving your word set? Because when I think of, you know, I read a lot, okay? And this is where I get all of, you know, just, oh, what's this word? And, you know, I'm in my 40s, I'm still looking up words in the dictionary. What can people do? Because we're moving towards text speak. We're not even spelling out whole words. Is there anything that people could do? Because the clarity, I think of Robin Williams at Dead Poet Society on how to use certain types of words to woo women or whatever it is that he was using in his example. Um you know, instead of using adverbs, find a better word uh, that can really express what it is that you're feeling or trying to communicate. How could people improve their word set? Well, I think you have to care about words. You have to be conscious of their power. And words really are empowering because if you, anybody, any you, if you want to achieve something, you're going to need concepts to motivate people to make it happen. And words are how we do that. Whether they're tech speak or not, it's still communication. So it's everything. And I've learned to look up words I don't know. And I'm glad it's a smaller and smaller list, but there's still a bunch out there I don't know. And I love learning about them. I just think it's about uh, having an attitude of curiosity and a realization that words are empowering for each of us. So they give you power. I like that. It's not just necessarily communicating a message. It's also empowering as yeah. well. That's 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 a great... Um, it's a great comment. Uh, talk to me about your types of clients. So when we talk about writing a speech, we could go in many different directions. Okay. We've got different communities. We've got office. We've got, we're in a, uh, just a general meeting. We're in front of a large group of investors. Who are your typical clients? Talk to me about what kind of speeches you write. Uh, 
So um, I love what I do. And Avon had a no questions asked guarantee. And when I left corporate life, I took it with me. So I never accept an assignment unless I know it can delight the client. So if somebody, I can be charming, I can be fun, but I'm not a comedy writer. So if somebody's looking for comedy, I'll immediately refer them to somebody else. And I'm, I'm never the subject matter expert. So if it's a technical speech, my client is the, sub, the expert on the technology. My job, in fact, my tagline is sound like yourself, only better. I use that whether I'm speech coaching or I'm writing for somebody. So what I do is um, I'll write for anybody as long as I feel like I can do a good job. And that could range from an individual person who wants a father of the bride speech to a big pharmaceutical company who calls me in, whether it's speeches or PowerPoints, and has me write for every single member of the team. And typically, my job in a big launch meeting is to make all the pieces fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, solved, so that the person from marketing supports the overall goal but sounds like him or herself. Same thing with manufacturing and so on. Have I answered your question? Yes. So now, so you've got different aspects and it's almost like you're uh, a speech. In, the way I think about it is you're telling a story. Okay. And if you're doing it as a group, each character of the story has to fit into the overall novel. Uh, what is the fundamentals of writing a good speech for a person listening right now who says, I have a speech at the end of this quarter in front of a board or whatever. Um, we have our big town hall meeting and I know I'm going to have to speak about marketing or human resources or whatever. Um, let's get to basics on when you think about the first step to writing a good speech. Where should you begin? Well, I brought um, a list of – I made a list because I've written about this topic. So I made a list of like 10 different best practices. But the first and foremost, <clears throat> excuse me, is to decide what your number one takeaway message is. That needs to become the north star of whatever it is you're delivering. And it's more true today than ever. It used to be back in the 80s, they said that MTV, music television, was a new thing then, was shortening human attention spans. That was way before the Internet. So now our attention spans as human beings is actually shorter than goldfish attention spans. We're just so hyper-stimulated. That means that you have to be sure that your speech is standing for the one thing, high, high level. If, you, if nothing else is absorbed by your listener, it's got to be this. Once you determine what that main takeaway message is, that's the North Star that guides everything else in the speech that you write. Any of the tips that I have for you, they all start by what's the point? What is the point? And I, and I guess the point could go one of, of different ways is one, uh, and I do this a lot in preparing for meetings, not necessarily speaking, but when you're preparing for a meeting, when you go into what do, what does everyone need to know in that room and what do you want them to know? And what they need to know is usually what you have to communicate. What you want them to know is sometimes how you deliver it. You know, you want them to think that you're an expert or, or whatever it is. And, and, and maybe also what you, how you want them to feel. And that's a that's an important part as well, right? The emotional aspect when we talk about words and we talk about how we we can communicate and evoke an emotional connection with people. That's part of telling a story. Yeah, right. Right. What's the biggest mistake people make in writing their speech? 
the biggest mistake they make in writing a speech is the same thing as the biggest mistake in creating a PowerPoint or creating an advertisement. It's trying to convey too many things at once. It's a it's a killer of, for to an idea. That's why I always that's why I stress what's the one takeaway message. That's your north star, and then everything else needs to line up. And if you are trying to get across too many different messages at once, you're going to fail. It's as simple as that. So when you go through, and I'm thinking now of my process when I'm writing a speech to go through, and, and generally is north star. What is the main point? And then when you're trying to convey a lot of different things, sometimes really what you need to do is just figure out how to outline it. And you put it down into North Star and how many points underneath it are you trying to make? Is there a process that you typically follow on, you know, North Star, outline, fill in the outline, fully write out a speech? What are some tips for people in terms of do you write out every single word? Do you do it as an outline? What, what kind of aspect of that? Well, different clients have different needs, but typically – I'll start with a an actual or the first product is an actual word-for-word word speech. So a father of the bride, for example, or a CEO where let's say it's a highly regulated industry like pharmaceuticals or finance, they have to be very careful what they say. Mm -hmm. So typically in a big company like that, forget about father of the bride, the speech needs to get legal approval. That calls for word-for-word because word, the lawyers need to make sure you're not making a false claim that you can get you a lawsuit. Some clients, after I've written a word-for-word -word speech, I'm talking now, I'm thinking now about a big pharmaceutical company, and the lawyers have approved it, I'll then convert that speech into bullet points. Even though my goal, and I seem to be pretty successful at it, is making the speech word-for-word -word sound like the client, not like me, still people get more conversational if it's bullet points and they can be a little more in the moment. So for a big company like that, if somebody's comfortable not working on a teleprompter but for bullet points, I'll still do a word-for-word -word script so there's absolute clarity about what the intention is. And then we can make it be more informal for delivery. Now, you said a couple times you write it so that it sounds like them and not you. How do you do that? Well, I, I tape record every – what an old way of saying it, tape record. <laughs> I record. Do they still have tapes? <laughs> yes. I'm one of the few customers for them. Um, I, I record every input. And I always say when I'm writing a speech for a client or for each member of a team that I'm listening to them in stereo. One ear is listening for my client. What does he or she want to get across? Again, starting with the North Star and then some – points that support that North Star message. The other ear I'm listening with is from the audience's point of view. Is this clear? Is it making sense to me? Am I following it? Am I? How am I feeling? Am I being motivated? So part of my job is to listen both ways and help the client. If, if the client is very much into the weeds with what they want to say, and I can tell already that the audience is not going to follow, then Part of what's important is not just my ability to write, but my ability to ask questions that elicit the content. And then when I listen back to the recording, I'm hearing the way that the client expresses him or herself, not the way that I would say it. And then I improve it so that it has more impact, but it still sounds like them, only better. Now, talk to me a little bit about the audience. Is So when you sit, so you're thinking about them. 
right? And you tape record the conversation. You're thinking about the context of what they need to say. Right. And there's details, there's not details, you know, there's broader picture, there's smaller picture, filtering through. Obviously, the audience has a big impact on what it is that you're trying to say. Talk a little bit about how you kind of think through who the audience is. How do you communicate that to your client to say, you know, how do you elicit that from people to say, what do these people need to hear? Well, it's um, just to give you two very different audiences. One would be the audience for a father of the bride. The other would be, let's say, a sales force of 3,000 people for a giant pharmaceutical company who's launching a new product that's very important to them. And these general sessions, that's where they, they give the speeches. It's not training. So I have to protect the client from getting too much in the weeds or the audience won't follow it. But typically part of my input process is to learn more about the audience. I have to know who we're marketing this content to. And then again, uh, pharmaceuticals are really a good example. Um, the person from manufacturing is going to talk in a different way than the sales leader is going to talk or than the marketing person who's developed the strategy is going to talk. So part of my job for a team is to help them compartmentalize their messages. So again, they all fit together, but each one has added incremental value to the motivation and understanding of the audience who's hearing it. So it's an ongoing process. And uh, uh, I seem to be very good at it uh, among the few things in life that I'm really good at. You're but, good at lots of things. Come on, Mike. Uh, <laughs> now, so, so when, when I think about the audience, and I don't want to get too much into delivery, but it, there's no secret that there are people who are terrible at giving speeches. Right. How are you able to make it from a writing perspective – to make it memorable for the audience. Is there anything that you could do? You could say, look, this person's from manufacturing, not as a maybe a dynamic speaker as a salesperson. What can I do from a writing perspective that would help them, you know, just make it somewhat memorable, memorable or at least engage the audience in a different way? One of the lessons I learned early on after leaving corporate life and starting to work with other clients, and actually I, I grew so much as an executive, because when I started in business, I was terrified to be on a stage. And then I became what they said was a very effective presenter. It's part of how I coach people now. But part of it is, part of what I learned is the power of being personal. So I remember one of my very first clients uh, when I had left corporate life was a pharmaceutical executive. And as I I don't, you don't know this perhaps, but I have training as a psychotherapist. I was going to leave corporate life and become a full-time shrink when they made me the youngest VP at Avon. And it was the world's largest. My parents said, oh, no. <laughs> you're, not, <laughs> you're not listening to people's problems. <laughs> right. But um, what I learned was the power of being personal. So this woman was afraid to share a story, but I – pulled it out of her. I used my therapeutic training, I think, actually, to make my clients understand that I'm a safe space and they can tell me anything. So she told me a story about herself as a Girl Scout. And I realized that point that she was making that came out of my input conversation with her would be very vivid for the audience if she would share it. Well, she was afraid to share it. She was very conservative. And I pushed her. And she did share it. And it was a terrific presentation. And ever since then, every time I've, there are clients still 
who are a little uncomfortable being personal as though you're not supposed to be. Every time I've encouraged a client to go out of their that comfort zone, if, if it makes them uncomfortable, to have a personal story that represents the truth we're trying to get across, they've always thanked me. And, and I gather it's actually changed them. Now they're more free to be personal. And it makes sense because you're trying to make, you're not just conveying information, data. You could just send somebody a memo if that's all it is. You need to have a personal connection with a speech, both in the writing of it and in the delivery. So the audience knows it's not just bullet points. This person really cares about and believes in what she or he is telling me to do when I go out and sell or whatever it is. Now, the vulnerability of giving a speech and that's a good point. So when we think about the vulnerability of giving a speech, it's you. It's just you standing in front of people, which is why we're so afraid of it, right, from a delivery perspective. But the vulnerability of adding a personal touch to writing your speech is, you know, especially in a work context, we often don't want to share our personal stories. Do you have advice for people on finding, you know, what's too personal uh, is there a little bit that you could share from home that's relatable to work? Being confident enough to share a story like that and open up to to questions or or you know it's scary really to share personal stories. Do you have advice on on what you've done with with clients or or sharing that that personal that personal aspect? Well, first of all, it's a different world than it used to be before the internet. There's so much personal now on Twitter and everything else. So that I think people are more used to personal sharing because of social media. But even so, it's always about relevance of the story. It's not just about I'm going to tell you something personal about me. It's got to make a point that supports the larger point. And usually I get that from the person just by fishing as I'm asking questions about them. Because I always encourage my clients to talk to me personally. That's part of how it, my speeches sound like each of them. Um, I don't, it doesn't happen often that somebody's going to be wanting to share a story that's risque or right, right, off right. limits. So that's not a problem. Usually the problem still is not as much of a problem as it used to be. But there's still people who feel like, well, I'm an executive. I shouldn't be talking about myself personally. And I am able to persuade them you're going to be a, a more believable executive if they if you also make a human connection there's an authenticity aspect that's sure. right yep yep and i always think through the really good uh presentations that i always heard or speeches that i always heard from an executive had that personal touch because people are able to relate to it and there's a human aspect right. to and it's not just you know we are corporate we are this uh it's it's important to do that now when we think about speeches in, in corporate and, and everything else. We talk about PowerPoint all the time. Is it time to kill PowerPoint? To kill it? Just kill it. <laughs> well. Because, because when you're writing a speech for PowerPoint or using a PowerPoint and it just becomes a crutch and people – and so maybe the, the right way to ask it is how to appropriately use PowerPoint because if I sit through one more presentation which just has a speech written on the PowerPoint, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. Well, these days, when I'm working with a team, let's say, for a product launch, it's more and more often that they're using PowerPoints. Part of my job is to help them improve the PowerPoints. Look, the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. A PowerPoint is a picture. It's a supportive picture. The problem is when the person has used it as read along with me, 
in that case, just send me the memo. I don't need to see the PowerPoint. I don't need to hear you. But if the if the PowerPoint slide has just a few key points of what that particular slide is trying to convey, or even just an image that the person speaks from, that it actually enhances. So the problem is not PowerPoint. The problem is the misuse of PowerPoint. Is there, so using it to support you, do you think it's more imagery focused or does it really matter? Because I feel when people are reading off of a PowerPoint, they're not listening to the presentation. Well, that's the worst practice is to have too much text so that it's read along with me. That's not the way it should be. But an effective PowerPoint, which really should be, the way I always describe it is to a presenter, let's say I'm coaching them, um, they are the fount of knowledge. The PowerPoint is just a support. It's not the other way around. And the most common mistake people still make with PowerPoint is to put too much stuff on there. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, there's not a right answer as to whether it should be an image or a few key words. It depends on the context. The point is it should be something that you get very quickly and that supports what you're hearing from the speaker at that time. And that's true whether the speaker is working from a bullet point or a full script, or in some cases they have what's called a confidence monitor where the executive sees the same power, same image in a screen in front of him or her while the audience is seeing it behind them. What matters is using that particular slide, that particular visual or key words to reinforce what you, the expert who's delivering the presentation, want to convey into the minds of your audience. PowerPoint is, I think it's a useful if it's used right, if it's done correctly, it's still very useful. An image is worth something. I feel like when people are writing a speech, they use it, PowerPoint, as the easy way out in order to structure their presentation. So, yeah, I, and I've sat in meetings where they say, uh, we're going to do you know 20-minute presentations, probably about eight slides. And they talk about it in terms of slides. You've said, and you said to me before as we were talking about doing the podcast, uh, it takes longer to write shorter. And I feel like PowerPoint is an easy way out because it's, you know, oh, everything's on here. Okay, good. I'm done. You know, let me check this box. Talk a little bit more about it takes longer to write shorter uh, because it, it, it there's a lot of focus. It's like the old email saying, sorry, I wrote you a long email. I didn't have time to write you a short one. And it goes back to your, your, your comment about words and finding the right words. Talk a little bit about it takes longer to write shorter. Well, it's, it really comes back again to the idea of the North Star. What's the takeaway message? But Sticking with the PowerPoint example, each slide should have a purpose. It's not just a bunch of data. And the sequence of the slides matters. If you're going to persuade somebody, what's the first thing they should know in order to believe and understand the second thing and then the third? So you really have to think through, starting again with the main purpose. Okay, now how do I persuade somebody to care about this main purpose and to understand it? So you have to think through the, the logic of it that is the underpinning of all the writing. You don't just start writing. Now, we've talked about it's almost like an arc of writing a speech, right? Very beginning, we find what's the North Star. We think about the audience. We think about um, what do we need to do to make it memorable? What are all of these different aspects? Now, before we get into the actual delivery and practicing of it, you talk about something called emphasis words, and there is there is this 
part of it's right before you're going to be delivering this presentation it, you can use something called emphasis words to think about how you write your your speech talk about emphasis words so even even these days with powerpoint if i if i'm writing for a big corporate meeting and again let's pick a, a regulated industry finance or pharmaceuticals it's typically a word for word script even though there are powerpoints and the person is reading it, and the teleprompter operator is following along. And when I write the script, I do this even in a Father of the Bride speech, um, I put an emphasis, what I call emphasis words, which are words in all capital letters. So the fact is, I know I'm talking here about writing, but the fact is people are nervous when they're delivering, a lot of people. And when people are nervous and they want to get through it, Either they'll talk in a monotone so that I know I'm doing this thing, or they'll tend to go very fast because it won't be long before I can sit down. One of the There are two advantages of emphasis words. One is if you hit a particular word, if you choose the word wisely that I've put in all capital letters for you, then it will sell the meaning of the your intent to the audience. The second thing is just the fact of having to emphasize words differently causes you to slow down and makes you sound more uh, in interesting. So you can improve the delivery of your speech in the way that you write your speech. Right. And I, I wanted I brought you an example of how why I learned about emphasis words. So pick a simple sentence like, I didn't drive our car yesterday. If you change the emphasis on any one of those words, it changes the entire meaning. So I'll give you... I didn't drive your car yesterday. I didn't drive our car yesterday. I didn't drive our car yesterday. It was my own. I didn't drive our car yesterday. Those are examples of how by what I hit, I changed the meaning. You change the meaning, the implication. It's the same words, yep. but it's a different emphasis. And it all starts with, okay, what's my point? And what are you trying to communicate right. and, and all of that? That's great. Uh, what other tips do you have for people just general kind of this is stuff to think through as you're writing your speech? Is there anything else that you can offer up? Well, it used to be, uh, and I've been doing this for quite a while, it used to be when I was looking for imagery or examples or quote famous quotes that would deepen the connection of the main point with the audience, I'd have to go to Barnes & Noble bookstore. And by now with the internet, it's an amazing thing. You know, I can get it just like that. So I always say, take maximum advantage of the internet. I uh, talk about capturing the audience's attention with value right away. So there's a phrase called WIFM, what's in it for me? And when you're writing a speech, it's really basic marketing. You have to be thinking not just what you want to convey, but what's in it for the audience? Why should they bother? So for a sales force at a pharmaceutical company, it's not just about the commission. It's about – and pharmaceutical sales is very competitive. A lot of people want to see the same doctor. It's about giving them the motivation to be tenacious. Why does it matter? Why does this drug positively affect – why are you doing good by selling this drug? Um, you also have to capture your own natural voice and don't try to sound like somebody else. It needs – again, it's about authenticity. Um, and also it's taking time to step back and critique your own writing. So that is why uh, I will often read aloud a speech before I let the client hear it, 
Here's it, and I, I'll have my words, my emphasis words also. I'll deliver it just the way I would deliver it in front of an audience. It's actually a separate topic for us to talk about sometime, the right kind of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. But the headline is make it as real in your mind as you possibly can. Well, before I let a client hear a speech that I've written for them, I'll do that and test out because you, hearing is different than reading, and you can gauge it differently. What's the impact on the audience of hearing this the way that I've said it with this emphasized? Perfect. Good. Um, this is helpful, I think, for a lot of people, simply because it's an intimidating idea to give a speech and to write one that's meaningful and impactful. Right? And there, there are different levels. One is to at least just give a speech, but then writing a good speech is a whole different animal. And there's a lot of work that goes into it, and there's a lot of focus, and there's a lot, you know, it, it's not necessarily appreciated how much work goes into writing a really good speech. All of this is going to be very beneficial for the people listening, and that's that's what I love to – that's why I'm so happy that you're able to do it. Um, I always end every episode with a book recommendation. Do you have a book recommendation for everybody? Yes. Uh, first, I'll also say – you just made me think of it – that if somebody wants to, I've written an essay about how to write a speech, and it's available online at a, a, a site called medium.com, and you'll see it there. In terms of books, there are three books that I consider landmarks in my own life. One is by John Nesbitt, who talked about high-tech and high-touch, the fact that we're in a high-technology world, and as a result of that, people still need to have experience. It, it's, it's been very helpful for a lot of my clients, actually, in thinking about their marketing. Second was by a futurist whose name is Alvin Toffler. The book is called The Third Wave. And back in the 80s, he predicted that our whole planet was about to change as we had left the agrarian age from many thousands of years ago to the industrial age from hundreds of years ago to what was new then, the information age. It changes everything. It's not a very well-written book. That's not his specialty, mm -hmm. but it was very, it's one of the most important books I ever read. And then the third one was by a journalist named Gail Sheehy, who writes or has written for New York Magazine, and it's called Passages. And it's about the fact that we used to think when somebody was 21, okay, that's done. They Now we're adults. Just go. Right. You're fine. That's it. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way because uh, sociologists have determined we all go through passages in our lives. And it's it really was illuminating for me, and it still is helpful to realize. In fact, part of what gave me the courage to leave corporate life was that I realized I was at a passage at that point in my life. I'd been decades in corporate life, and I had to decide for the second half of my life, did I want to stay in corporate life or did I want to do the bravest thing ever and quit and become an entrepreneur? Which is a great way to be, if I can, uh, <laughs> if I can say. Do you think – so going through these passages – and being a psychotherapist, going through that training, does that help you write your speeches, you think, in terms of being able to understand true motivations behind what people are thinking and it, it may help the way that you're asking questions? Do you think that helps that? Undoubtedly, actually. Uh, I've had, when I speech coach somebody, they've complimented me on being able to give them honest feedback that they can use, but doing it in a way that doesn't demean them or make them feel embarrassed. I don't like to coach people in front of their executive peers, because I want to be able to give really intimate, honest feedback. 
And being a psych- having the, ther- the training as a psychotherapist helps me do that. But frankly, I think it also helps me in pulling the content out of the client when I'm first writing the speech anyway. And it helps me. Uh, one of my, uh, my early my psychoanalysts called me, said that I was raised to be hyper empathetic because my mother was very hard to please. So I had to try really hard. And as nerve wracking as that was, it turns out it's a really useful trait to have because it makes me care about and pay attention to other people. And when I'm writing for someone, I have to really get that person. And when I'm writing for the audience as a group, even so, they're in a particular situation. So yeah, I think that the psychotherapy helps me not only as a human being, but helps me as a writer and speech coach. So as you, so people are listening now, I'm sure that they're going to need help writing a speech and they need someone who can understand them. How do they get in touch with you? Well, um, my website is mikegreenly.com. It's Mike, the color green, L-Y.com. I've learned to do that because people often think L-E-Y, no. No. Nope. So <laughs> if they'll just go to my website, mikegreenly.com, they'll get my contact info, and I'd love, I'd love doing what I do, so I'd love to do it. That's great. So we will uh, – I'll put a link to your website on my website. I'll also put a link to uh, the medium.com article. Uh, and you've got just so much stuff out there. Um, maybe we'll put like a YouTube link to your Virginia song and everything because there's so much out there that that's great. Mike, this has been very helpful for everybody. Thank you so much for, for your wisdom, your knowledge, sharing all of this with everybody uh, because it, it's – it's needed a lot, especially when we're thinking about how to make an impact on other people's lives. And uh, you could do that through speech and through words. And so for someone to put the appropriate effort into writing a good speech can impact people, you know, exponentially, right? So your your help today is going to help multiple, multiple people beyond, beyond, beyond. Uh, so thank you for being here. We We appreciate it. And you're an effective and motivating interviewer. Oh, well, thanks. That's great. <laughs> I feel effective and, and motivated. Uh, and I will, will effectively motivate everybody to, to hop on the website, bellweatherhub.com, to learn more about Mike. And uh, we've got some events coming up. And uh, check out everything there. There is uh, a wealth of, of good information on there, uh, including, including this information from, from Mike. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we will see you out there. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Bellwether.